Bismillah, you're listening to Islam Today. Islam Today being broadcast to you under the auspices of the Islamic Broadcasting Network, IBN. You can visit us on the internet at ibn.net. That's ibn.net, where you can find rebroadcasts of this and other programs about Islam Today. I'm your host, Yusuf Estes, and today we're visiting in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama has, believe it or not, people who are Muslims and some people who aren't. <laughs> and we are here together, Muslims and non-Muslims, to talk about some important issues in the face of the monotheistic religions known as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The subject of this particular topic is going to be about intentions and what are they and what's acceptable and what's not. I would like to mention that the word in the Arabic language that I'll be referring to is called niya. So if any of you are familiar with Arabic language and would like to cross-reference the topic based on the Arabic language, which is the source of what I'm talking about, it's called niya. And I'm using the word in English, intention to represent niya. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings be upon him, told us an important statement and it's recorded in the very first of a collection of over almost actually 3,000 of his traditions and sayings called Sahih al-Bukhari and it claims in the very first statement from him that from on the authority of Omar radiallahu anhu it says certainly every intention is going to be every deed or action will be judged by the intention so in Islam, we understand immediately from this and from the rest of the saying that whoever does anything for Allah and His Messenger, then this will be recorded as such. And whoever does anything for any worldly reason, then it will be recorded as such. So intentions in Islam are going to be the key to the deed being acceptable or being rejected. Every action judged by the intention. So if the intention is good, the action is considered good. If the intention is wrong, the action is considered wrong. We'd like to take a little example of that. If someone has a very good idea that they would like to build a hospital for those who are indigent, miskeen, then he said, but I don't have the money, so I will rob a bank to do it. Well, the intention he has is very, very good. But now there's a serious problem in his thinking because he's considering that it's all right to rob a bank to come up with the funding for this so-called good idea. So this would be totally unacceptable. You say, well, the intention is good. Yes, it is. But it also has to be in line with what is called in Islam the Sharia of Islam, which means the, the teaching of Almighty God in his Quran in the book of Allah and also in the teachings and sayings of Muhammad peace be upon him so this means that there's a condition the intention can be good but the intention also has to be based on what is correct can't be a good intention and then have something like this in the middle of it uh, now I mentioned that we would make some comparison 
between the three monotheistic faiths when we come to this subject of intention. And I think this is a good place to do that. Because we can look to the Old Testament, what remains of it in English translation, to the New Testament, what remains of it in the English translation, and to the Quran, and I'm going to use a English translation of the meaning, which is here on, on the desk, and tell you that for sure, all that I'm saying in English, you can refute in any language. I mean, you can come back to me and say, well, that's not exactly the Hebrew, that's not exactly the Aramaic or the Koine Greek, and that's not exactly the Arabic. But I am trying to do this in English, so that uh, means that there could be a margin of error, at least in language. But so that we have the concept, and this is what we're trying to deal here with, is a concept when you translate. The concept in Islam is that every action is judged by the intention, but it has conditions. The deed has to be done for the sake of Allah, to be considered for Allah. That's the first thing. You can't be doing it for worldly purposes. And the second is that it has to be in line with what is acceptable according to Islamic law. In other words, as we mentioned, you can't rob somebody to do a good deed because you've committed a bad deed, so you negate the good that comes out of it. You know? If somebody said, for instance, uh, I would like to uh, be with you guys in your faith. Well, that's wonderful. All you guys got to do is just come over to my place and get drunk with me tonight, and then I'll be ready to go with you to your prayer in the morning. We can't do that. It's not acceptable. It doesn't work. Okay, having said that, when we look to statements which we find, as I mentioned in the English translation of the Bible, that it says your good deeds are filthy rags before the Lord. This is acceptable in Islam. Any deeds that we do, our amal, our actions, can be nothing more than dirty rags in front of the Lord. Why? Well, because if the intention is wrong, we just negated them. If they're not in accordance with what Allah has ordered us to do, we've negated it on both cases. So definitely. And then on top of that, even if you have the most beautiful deeds, which are the most pure and the most, you know, in our understanding, human logic, this is perfect. Still, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, and this is another tradition where it's reported he said this, and I'm giving you the English translation of it. After one of the prayers, I guess he was telling his companions that nobody will enter into paradise at all except by the grace and I'm using the word grace to translate the word Rahman. Because we say most gracious, most merciful, are Rahman. And certainly we're saying by the grace. And nobody will enter into paradise except by grace. They said, even you? He said, even me. So we know again, your deeds are not really going to be the deciding factor. So even some people ask him, well... Does Allah already know everything that's going to happen? He said, yes. Is this all by the plan or the cutter of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God Almighty? He said, yes. It's already written? Yes. Well, then why should I even bother? And look what he said. You don't know the future. So you go on and you keep doing your good deeds and keeping your good intentions from doing the best you can and let Allah decide. Does it make sense? I like that. That's a good concept. Additionally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, whoever comes with a good deed. First of all, let me mention this. He says on the day of judgment, everybody who's done an atom's weight of good 
We'll see it then. Whoever has done an Adam's weight of evil, we'll see it then. Meaning it's all recorded. You didn't sneak by and think, I'm in a dark place and there's nobody looking, so Allah, He doesn't know, so I can... Di-. No, what are you talking about? He knows. And you'll be held accountable for it. Except look at what it says in the Quran. Allah said, if anybody comes with a good deed on the Day of Judgment, it's a good deed, acceptable. He said it will be met with ten, meaning that he'll have ten rewards instead of just one for a good deed. But if he does a bad deed, he'll only have one bad deed. Well, that's good news. That's very good news. And that, for me, is big grace and big mercy. Because I'm sure on the scale, al-mizan, the scale of justice, really, I'm, I'm pretty much afraid I've already outweighed all my good deeds with things that I've done. So, it's good to have this and to know that my bad deeds are only recorded as one. In another saying of Muhammad, and I love this one, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace be upon him, he said that there's an angel on the right who is recording your good deeds and an angel on the left recording the bad deeds. He said the one on the right, as soon as you have an intention to do a good deed, he records one full good deed. And if you accomplish the intention, then it's ten good deeds recorded for you instead of just one, which confirmed by the Quran what it says. And then he says that if a person has the intention to do a bad deed, but he stops himself and says, no, that's wrong, don't do that. You see, he stopped a bad deed, it's recorded as a good deed. And if he's, yeah, he has a bad intention. You know, I'm going to do X to Mr. Y. Okay, without getting into anything specifically. But no, 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 I need to, no, I mustn't do that. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I stopped myself. That's wrong. Now he has a good deed. Why? Well, he stopped a bad deed. And nobody knows that, by the way. This is why we say a lot of things are in the ghaib, the unseen. And Allah is judging this. He's looking right into your heart all the time. So what you might think, oh, this guy's a great guy. He's so nice. He's so holy. And then underneath it, the guy's a scumbag. And you don't know that because you don't know what's in his heart. On the other hand, somebody you think, no, this guy's nobody. You know, he's in the street. He's, yeah, you know. And the way he acts, the way he carries on, we're sure he's going to hell. But you don't know that. Maybe inside of him is something ticking that's very beautiful. And you can't see that, but Allah, he sees it. And so these people go to paradise. Let me get back to the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he was saying that continuation that the angel on the left, when a deed is intended a bad deed is intended but it's never accomplished nothing is written because he didn't do it but he had the intention so he's not going to be punished for just the intention because he didn't actually do it of course he doesn't have any good deed there but then the minute he does a bad deed the angel on the left begins to record a full bad deed but the angel on the right stops him and says hold on a second maybe he will repent wait See if he'll repent. And after a period of time, he doesn't repent. The angel on the left begins to write again. And the one on the right stops him and says, Wait, maybe he'll repent. A period of time goes by. He doesn't repent. Then it's a full bad deed recorded for him. This helps us to understand what's the position of intention in Islam. Because here's a person who intended a bad thing, did a bad thing, and then suddenly he said, Oh my God, what have I done? If now, but what is tawbah or repentance in Islam? It's not something phony. It's not something funny that you can just go out and say, you know what? 
I think I'm going to go do X. And I don't want to give you guys any ideas. That's why I'm not giving you examples. <laughs> I'm not going to help you in case you didn't think of it. But I want to go do X and something X is horrible and you shouldn't do it, right? And he said, yeah, and you know what? I'll repent right afterwards. Okay, there's no repentance for this. Because he knew it was wrong when he started and the repentance is phony from the beginning. And there is no amount of repentance going to make up for that because he knew when he started he was going to do it. He even knew he was going to try to repent for it so he wouldn't have to pay for it. This is like using somebody else's credit card, charging it up, knowing full well you're never going to pay it, and then going to him and saying, I'm sorry, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't really realize what I was doing. Yeah, right. So you can't get away with that. It doesn't work in Islam. Allah has already been most gracious and most merciful by giving us this system that we will be judged by our intention and already have a reward. Judged by our action to the extent that it's going to be based on the intention. If it was really pure, we'll even get more by following through and doing it. But at the same time, being only punished for what we actually did wrong. That's enough. How would it be that he has to add to that? On top of it, you knew it, you did it anyway, and then you went, I'm sorry doesn't work so that's giving us some idea another reference uh, again making a comparison from the book of James from the New Testament more or less the translation tells us that faith without works is death and this may not be uh, and each translation exactly the same but it gives us an idea here that in this book it's telling us that just saying you believe is not enough do we have the same thing in Islam? This is my only reason for making the comparison. And again, the answer is yes, it is. The same thing in Islam, it is not enough to say, I believe, and then do no works. It's totally unacceptable. And when people say, God is love. I love God, and God loves me. And we hear Muslims say that all the time. I have God in my heart. And, you know, I love God. And I really, you know, okay, when we hear this, Look at the answer that it came in the Quran to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And this is Allah telling the Prophet, peace be upon him, what to say. Say this to them when they come with this crap. Crap doesn't come in there. That's Texas meaning garbage. But when they come with this, Allah orders the Prophet, don't you come up with something out of your mouth. You say these words. Chapter 3, verse 31. Al-Imran. Ayah number 31. What does it say? shaitan I seek refuge with Allah for condemn shaitan. I should say that before I recite Quran. Kul in kuntun tuhibun Allah Say to them, Prophet Muhammad is talking to Allah. Say to them, when you tell me you love Allah, say, if you really love Allah, then you follow me. By following what I have brought, by doing what I'm teaching, by doing the things that are considered amal salihat, meaning the righteous deeds. Do that. Then, and I'm back to the verse, then and only then will Allah forgive you your sins because He is the forgiver and He is the merciful. Check it out. So it's not sufficient to stand around and say, I love God, God loves me, that's it. I'm a believer. No, you're not. Faith without works is dead. I'm, I'm paraphrasing from the Bible. And we accept that. That's absolutely true. 
either come up with some action or don't bother. Okay? Or as we say in Texas, put your money where your mouth is. For me, and the, my background, my history, personal history, I like that. Because it's very straightforward. I like straightforward. I don't like wishy-washy, sneak behind the bushes, all this kind of thing. No. It's up front. If you really are who you say you are, prove it. Have you not heard it said so many times in the South especially, we hear you talk to talk. Let me see you walk to walk. You're telling me you're a Muslim. Where is your Islam, man? Let us look now. We're talking on the subject of intentions. Let us look to the very word Islam itself and consider. What is Islam? What does it mean? Islam is an Arabic word coming from the root. And the Arabic language, by the way, is root-driven. and has over 5,000 roots. It's a very powerful, powerful language. And it says very clearly the meaning of Islam coming from Salama is not peace. Not peace. Uh, I don't mean to contradict uh, G.W., George W. Bush. He said Islam is a peaceful religion. Certainly, I agree with him. We have some people who are working toward peace, and they should, without doubt. But Islam itself doesn't mean peace. If it did, we wouldn't say Salam Alaikum. We'd say Islam Alaikum. The meaning of Islam is having five meanings come from the root Salama. And the first one is surrender. That's the first word. The second one is submission. The third is obedience. The fourth is sincerity of intention. This word we're talking about, intention. And then finally, the word peace. But that word salam coming in here is a conditional salam or peace based on the first four words. Let me explain in plain English. If the person is totally surrendering to God's will on earth to the best of their ability, if they are obeying the orders and commandments of God to the best of their ability and knowledge, and if they're doing this in submission without any reservation, they, they're saying, I'm going to do this, and they do it, and it's purely for God, then and only then do they have peace between them and God. Because it, Islam describes the relationship between the human being and the Creator. It is not talking about our relationship with anything else first. This is first and foremost. If a person is not Islam with Allah, he is not Islam with the people. This is recorded very clearly, again talking about the intention, because I want you to be, be focus on this. Focus on this, that there's another word called nasiha in the Arabic language. And we're very familiar with this because of so many brothers and sisters will say to each other, I want to give you nasiha. And we say this means advice. How many of you heard it used that way? And if I ask you, how do you say advice in Arabic, you will say what? Does anybody here doubt that it's an Arabic speaker? You will say that. And you will tell me that what? The Prophet ﷺ said, Adina. This is interactive. You can answer. Adina. Adina Nasiha means the religion of Islam is to give good advice to people, right? Is that the meaning? Absolutely wrong. Everybody thinks that. But I'm, I'm encouraging you to go and read this hadith in the Arabic language and read the rest of it and see what it says. To who? Allah, how do you give advice to Allah? Allah, I don't like the way you made the giraffe. His neck is way too long. And by the way, the size of that pit and the avocado, you didn't leave any room. For, and the mango seed, hello? Are you going to give advice to Allah? Astaghfirullah. 
What are you talking about? What are you talking about, man? But you didn't think about that before, did you? Because everybody came along and said the same thing without thinking. The scholars of Islam told me, don't say that, Yusuf. That's not the meaning. It's this. I said, then why do people say that? They said, why do people do anything? The meaning is not that. Look at this. What it says here is that the Prophet ﷺ said, Adina Nasiha, that the religion of Islam is Nasiha. They said, to who? He said, to Allah and to His Messenger and to the Wali Amr, the one in charge of the, the emir over the people, the protecting emir over the people, and then to the general public. There are four mentioned in this, yes or no. Okay, the only the last one could be considered correct. But if you're going to apply the word to the other three, you have to stop and recon, rethink the word, reconstruct what your meaning is. And it means sincerity and devotion and dedication. You don't advise Allah, but you can be sincere to Him, and that's another meaning for it. You can be devoted to Him, and that's another meaning for it. And you can be totally committed, and that's also good. This will work. But to say, I'm going to give Allah advice, how? What are you going to do? How are you going to do that? And how do you advise the Prophet? The people of his time might have, but he's dead. Peace be upon him. He's dead. And you're not going to advise a dead person. This is nuts. And the Wali Amr, we don't even have one anymore. Unless you want to take Bush as your Wali Amr. And if you do, I don't think he was going to consider much if you write to him and say, you know, according to Islam, you should pray five times a day. He's going to take go drop dead. Or being a good politician, he'll probably tell you to, you know, fall into your grave instead of drop dead. It's basically the same thing. I'm saying that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's from Texas. I'm sure he'd love to hear me talk about him like this. He's a good guy. Uh, what I'm saying, though, that... We have to be careful when we throw these meanings out there because we're going to get the wrong understanding. You can bend something in the beginning and you don't realize. You can say, well, it's just a fraction off. But if any of you know anything about logarithms, you can just start with a little bit off, just a small tangent, and then suddenly, you know, you get out here and it's almost perpendicular to what you're doing. It doesn't carry the same meaning at all anymore. So you want to be careful about that. So in Islam, what we know is that we must be totally dedicated to Allah first and then dedicated to Muhammad next, peace be upon him, and then dedicated to our leadership and then dedicated to our fellow man. That's the meaning. You know, we've got a big job ahead of us. If we want to really claim to be a Muslim, there's a lot of work here. What does Allah want from me? Well, we can start talking about all these orders. And by the way, if you want to read the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, you'll find that, wow, these guys had a whole lot more to worry about than we do. We don't eat pork. <laughs> they don't eat pork and they can't eat any beef at the time that they're going to have milk because it comes from the milk. If the milk is from the cow, you can't eat the... Now, if you're going to have chicken, you can't eat the egg because the egg coming from the chicken, you can't make... You know, like we do batter. We make a, an egg batter, dip chicken in it. And you're living in Birmingham, Alabama, you're going to love it, Right? The Jewish can't do that according to the Leviticus and so on and so on. But I'm just mentioning that, that there are rules, but that's not the first rule. For Islam, we have a first rule. Before you get into all of this, uh, people start talking about why you cut off people's hands. I never cut anybody's hand off in my life, by the way. I've never even seen that. Why you cut off people's heads? Again, never saw such a thing. To me, that's, uh, you know, that's another world. What I'm saying here is that there are things mentioned as well in the Bible that most Christians don't have a clue. If you go to them and say, did you know it says the same thing right here? Who put that in my Bible? <laughs> so, 
Let's deal with what the first issue is. The first issue is what Allah told us in the Quran, our purpose, why He created us, why we're here. And He uses the word in Arabic from the word Al-Khaliq. He is the Creator and He is the one who created us. Khalaq. He says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ is that plus or minus the Arabic? Except that? Okay. The translation to English might be only created you guys to worship me alone without any partners. Let's go back again because we said we're talking about the monotheistic faith. Is that something which is taught in the Bible? In the book of Exodus chapter 20 and in the book of Leviticus in chapter 6. Something they call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Now, if it's the Catholic, the Reims do a Bible, they have the, the numbers split differently, but it still says the same thing. They just have, you might say, well, this is number nine here, but it's number eight over there. And it doesn't matter because essentially the, the, the numbering doesn't matter in the Bible any more than it matters in the Quran. Why? Now, this is a side issue, but I want to tell you about this. Because they didn't used to use numbers. That came up later. Okay? At the time of Muhammad, peace be upon him, nobody said ayah number 255 in, in Surah Baqarah. They didn't say that. They said ayatukursi, the verse of the chair. You know what? You know which one I'm talking about? Allahu la ilaha illahu al Okay, that didn't have a number at that time. This came later. The same for the Masoretic text. It didn't used to have the diacritical marks. That's, what, that's why we refer to it as Masoretic text because it, that's when they put diacritical marks. And by the way, they did it after the Muslims made diacritical marks in Arabic. Essentially, there was no markings in the Arabic language before that time. Before the Quran came, nobody even used dots. There were no dots above or below the lines. For instance, the letter Fa, those of you who know the Arabic language, Fa has one dot, right? And Fa has two. If you remove the dots, they look alike, right? Well, in the Arabic, the, the, the Quran actually was written in the beginning... They had to distinguish between the two by how high they made the circle because there were no dots that came later. Likewise, it's the same for the numbering. So I'm trying to show you, don't, let's don't be critical about these points. It's immaterial. Moot point. But it does say, as a first commandment in the Bible, in both cases, regardless of how you do your numbering, it still starts out the same way. That I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt in the house of bondage, you know no other God beside me. And then comes the statement, Thou shalt not have any other gods beside me. Very clear. There's no doubt that it says that in two places in the books of Moses or the Pentateuch, which is the uh, supposedly the first five books of Moses. The reason I say supposedly, some say there were seven and some said six and so and so. But that's the, what's preserved and accepted traditionally across the board. So... Do we have the same thing in the Quran? Absolutely, without doubt. We have the same statement. This is what's important to know, that this is not different. In Islam, it's not accepted to make partners with God. He says in the Quran, more or less the translation, <clears throat> I do not forgive anyone to make shirk. I use the word shirk because that's the Arabic representation for the meaning of making partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If anybody makes a partner with him in worship, he says, I don't forgive that. That's the blasphemy, the unforgivable sin. Because he says, but anything less than that, I can forgive. I do not forgive 
Anybody to make partners with me in worship, but anything less than that I can forgive. This is the statement, and this is so we understand that that's a point in the monotheistic faith. Mono means one. If you got more than one, it's not mono anymore. Simple as that. The intention is everything in Islam. From the time you're born till the time you die, that's what you're being judged on. That's why in Islam, we say that, and this is from our Prophet, peace be upon him, what he told us, every child is born on the fitra of Al-Islam. Every child is born in the total submission, surrender, and obedience to God. They're innocent of everything. But it is their parents who will raise them up to become a Christian, a Jew, a fire worshiper, or whatever. Who raises the children up is the one, that's what they'll follow. This is not uncommon. I mean, you don't have to be a psychology student to figure that one out. Because the people of Hindustan become Hindus. Why? Well, that's what their parents are. The people, for the most part, there's always exception, but the people in China, a lot of them are Buddhists. Why? Because their parents are. And each and every family will have the same thing. What you are is what you teach your children, and they begin to believe that from early on. That's why it's essential for those who are trying to work in religion where they do conversion, catch the kids. Catch them early. There was one phrase I remember, very very popular phrase amongst those who are trying to catch the kids and bring them to church. They would say, catch them before they're eight, before it's too late. That was a phrase, meaning that's the time to catch them and do what? Exactly what Prophet Sassam said, which is raise them up in that particular faith. Okay? Now, we accept that as Muslims very clear, that how people are, as they mature, then they're going to be asked for what they did. So what a child does doesn't put them in hell. In fact, we believe that all the children who die before reaching the age of decision, some people say the age of puberty, but when they're old enough to distinguish right from wrong and they choose wrong, then they're going to be judged for that. But if they die before that time, Islam says they go to paradise. Regardless of what their parents were, doesn't matter if they were Jews, Christians, fire worshippers, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, doesn't matter. Because Allah knew their hearts, their innocence, and their, their insubmission to Him. They haven't done anything wrong. So they're not going to be punished. That's the teaching of Islam. Now within the Christian religion, you have different opinions. Depending on if you... Uh, they have the Orthodox which is one church, Orthodox Greek, Orthodox Russian, and the Coptics of uh, Egypt. And then you have the Roman Catholic, and then you have the Protestants, and Protestants are divided up into untold numbers of different things. But So you can find different opinions on that, but in Islam, there is only the opinion that the children are innocent, they die, they go to paradise, because they haven't done anything wrong. So there, the intention doesn't really matter much because they, didn't ha they weren't old enough to have that kind of intention. So that gives us a little bit of the insight. I wanted to do some comparative religion, although I don't want to do it anything in a sense that brings about any hard feelings or that becomes controversial or open to debate. Because guess what? That's not my thing, and I'm very much against that because a Baptist preacher friend of mine, by the way, said something 11 years ago. I don't want to ever forget it because it was beautiful. When, when we had a program, it started up. He said, debates bring a lot of heat, but not very much light. And I accept that. 
I also accept that people can have different opinions, and that's fine. But whenever you want to ask me something, if I give you an answer, I should bring some proof. If I'm trying to say that I have some point here, then I need to have a proof. The proofs that we bring are the two, which is the Holy Quran in the Arabic language, as understood by the early Muslims according to their understanding, meaning those who knew Muhammad, peace be upon him, and said what he said. And, of course, that brings us immediately to the teachings and sayings of Muhammad, which are the Hadith. As the Prophet said, I was sent with the Quran and something like it, meaning that he came with the Quran and his explanation of it. And this gives us some ideas of intention, what's the value of it, how we look at it in Islam. And I ask Allah to forgive me for any mistakes and guide me to do better. You've been listening to Islam Today. We're broadcasting to you almost live all the way from Birmingham, Alabama. And we are talking with the Muslims and non-Muslims here on the subject of intention. You can visit us on the internet at ibn.net. That's the Islamic Broadcasting Network. Or you can visit our website at islamtoday.com, I-S-L-A-M-T-O-D-A-Y.com. Our website's open 24 hours a day. And good news for those in New York, plenty of free parking.